Welcome to episode 56 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is the evening of Monday, September 12th. Uh, Duke recently lost a football game in crushing fashion to Wake Forest, but we are still here to talk to you. There's a lot going on today, so let's jump right in. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, coming to you from Denver, Colorado. I have my usual co-hosts with me uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Yes, and folks, this weekend, Sam Klein comes to Atlanta, Georgia. To finally meet you, which I've never done. <laughs> I'm looking we're forward to it. To, the first beer is on me. We're almost two years into this project, and we've never actually spoken in person. So that's, uh, that's impressive. And then also in Washington, D.C., uh, Donald Wine. Uh, I think I am the only member of the podcast that has met the other two. So, uh, and Sam has done a couple of podcasts on my couch, as you guys know. I have not done one on Jason's couch. So I guess, uh, Sam, that's your job this weekend. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can do. Um, yeah. I know you're, that you're, you're welcome. You're welcome to sit on my couch and do a podcast. My, uh, <laughs> my relationship with the Evans family has been a bit up and down in spite of my never meeting them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll, we'll tell all those stories at a future time because there's a lot to get to today. So we will start with, uh, as I mentioned at the top, Duke's loss to Wake Forest in football this week, 24 to 14. It was, uh, it, it was kind of a dismal performance after uh, a strong, but obviously not extremely telling uh, shot or a blowout against NC Central in the first week. So I'll start Sam, with Sam, Donald. Wait, wait, yeah. Sam, you know what it was? Was it was it? a vintage Duke performance, and I don't mean sure. that in a good way. It was sure. Yeah. I mean, am I right? This felt like Duke before David Cutcliffe. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Sort of the it, boneheaded it, it, mistakes, the the kind of things you don't usually see from a Cutcliffe team. Brian, why don't you start us off, Jason, and then tell us? <laughs> tell us <laughs> Donald, I didn't mean to usurp you that way, but no, go ahead. No, please. No, I mean that to me that was one of the biggest takeaways from this game was that I, as I watched it, I. I increasingly felt like I was watching the Duke teams of, and look, I mean, Carl Franks and, and some of these other coaches from the past, good guys, but, but didn't really get it done um, on the field that well. And I, I, I felt like we were watching some of their kind of, some of the mistakes that Duke used to make, you know, uh, really untimely penalties, poor tackling, um, somewhat questionable play calling. Uh, you know, all season, all preseason, we heard, about how Duke was going to be this big rushing team. And we, we have a redshirt freshman quarterback as our starting QB. And supposedly Duke was going to be a team that was going to rely on Jella Duncan and Sean Wilson, who are, who are outstanding running backs. That didn't happen. Um, Duke averaged 1.2 yards per carry. Let that sink in for a second. 1.2 yards per carry. We rushed the ball 30 times. Um, uh, you know, a few of those, most of those being Daniel Jones attempting to to sort of play the uh, the old Brandon Connett um, or Parker Bame role of, of the QB who runs with the ball. And, and he was incredibly unsuccessful at that. Um, Sean Wilson got two carries. Jella Duncan only got nine carries. Uh, we were destroyed, destroyed at the line of scrimmage. Wake ran all over us. We couldn't rush the ball at all. And like I said, it, it felt like you know, it was sort of frustrating in that it felt like one of those Duke losses from years past. Um, we got beat badly on special teams. We got beat badly on the offensive line. Um, there aren't too many phases of the game that I felt we won, we won other than I thought Daniel Jones did a really nice job at QB, especially in the second half. Um, he missed a lot of passes I thought that he should have made in the first half, but in the second half, I thought he was pretty good. Um, the, the expectations, uh, it was very frustrating. The, very the frustrating. The expectations for the offense were kind of weird, right? Because coming into the season, you figured – 
we're getting a, a, a new quarterback who's a redshirt freshman. We have experienced running backs. You would think that the team would, would be leaning, especially early in the season, more on those running backs. And, and like you said, it just didn't happen. Um, and, and I don't know if that's more the, on the running backs or if that's more on Daniel Jones's progression. Um, but, but it was certainly surprising. Donald, what did you want to add to that? Uh, other than the stats, which uh, Jason broke down a little bit, I, I think the one thing that you take away from this that's disappointing is that this was an early, early step, uh, early season uh, matchup in the ACC, and also within uh, something that will help us, uh, was supposed to help us down the road uh, when it came to seeding for uh, uh, matchups in bowl games, or even you know at the end if we were good enough uh, to go to uh, a championship game, but. You want to start out on the right foot in the ACC, especially this year when so much turnover has happened and a lot of the teams in the Coastal uh, have improved um, immensely, especially in the coaching position. So I, it's disappointing because, yeah, it did remind you of some of those pre-2007 uh, teams um, that just couldn't get it done no matter what. Um, but I think the one thing that you want to take away and as we move forward um, to next week, this is not a team that can rebound from big back-breaking plays. And I think the one play that really just broke the backs of the team uh, was that 55-yard touchdown that uh, Wake had, I think it was late in the third quarter, early in the fourth, uh, on third and one when they probably would have punted and we would have had great field position. This was, uh, that was a, that was a back-breaking play. And when you get that kind of play up and you can't respond, that is kind of what we have not been used to the last few years. Um, and hopefully that's something that uh, the guys will be just as angry about as, as kind of some of the play, some of the fans are um, and can rebound against a, a Northwest team that a Northwestern team that really isn't that good and, and ripe for the taking. You, you hit it on the head, man. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the big plays were a problem. Uh, Wake had a, a 62 yard reception. They had a 37 yard reception. They had that 55 yard run. They had two other runs of nearly 30 yards. I mean, the explosive plays went Wake's way, even though Duke had a couple nice explosive plays. Um, Chris Taylor had a 59-yard catch. Um, Anthony Nash, who had a really nice game, by the way. I, um, I, I thought from a receiving standpoint, our three receivers, Anthony Nash, Jonathan Lloyd, and TJ Ramming, really uh, did a very, very nice job. They, they were open a lot. Um, uh, they, they each had eight or nine receptions, which is you know, really great uh, to get those kind of numbers. But Wake had more explosive plays, and you're right. When Wake would have an a explosive play, a decisive play, a turnover or something like that, it felt like Wake capitalized on it better than better than duke did we, we would have a big play and then we'd miss a field goal or, or we'd or you know we'd back up with a couple penalties and, and we suddenly wouldn't be in field goal range wake capitalized on their explosive plays there was some talk coming into this game and i think that vegas reflected that about how this was going to be a low scoring affair both duke and wake forest lean a little bit more heavily on their defense than they have in years past and duke isn't really you know from in the Cutcliffe era, Duke isn't really used to leaning on the defense and, and having to wait for those big breaks to happen, um, which, as you say, Wake Forest had more of them. I would also point out that, uh, that the linebacking core for Duke actually had a pretty nice day. Joe Giles-Harris seems like he's taking over Jeremy Cash's job as the guy who gets to the ball on every possession. It seemed like he was getting a tackle uh, on almost every other Wake Forest offensive play. Um, and finally, um, I just wanted to pour one out for... Uh, Duke's run of having pretty awesome college-level uh, place kickers, it seems like that streak might be over. Uh, and, and one of the things that 
you know, you kind of see with higher level college football is that there, there just isn't enough time for coaches to emphasize and recruit for a really good kicking game. And, and that might finally be catching up to Duke because we, we, we missed two field goals this week. We also made one field goal that was maybe the ugliest kick. I think I've oh ever my seen God, I've never through seen the uprights. It, by the uh, way, that, that wasn't the kicker's fault. That was not the kicker's no, fault. No, it wasn't. But but just <laughs> the, the holder just dropped the general, ball. <laughs> yeah, look, just just look. in general, having a having a a solid kicking game is not a thing that a lot of um, high major programs are able to rely on. And it's been it, it, it's sort of a, a, a return um, to the norm, maybe for for higher level college football to have sort of a weak kicking game because this is this is just what happens. Let's be clear. Maybe maybe that's it. Let's be clear, the worst kick of all time that went through the uprights is that kick that UNC made to beat us back in 2002. Oh, um, that, yes. that thing still haunts me to this day. Um, and that it's the worst kick of all. was a dying duck in the air. Yeah. It went 10 feet, one inch in the air the entire time. And yeah. all it needed to do was 10 feet. Yeah. Stupid. Frustrating. Really. Hey, I'm glad you brought up Giles Harris, though. Man, that, that kid, he, he's just a freshman. I was like, you're right. He was all over the field. Um, that's a, that's a nice thing to look forward to. And uh, hopefully, four more years of him. <laughs> I would say, looking back at our at our conversation with Bob Green a few weeks ago, he said, and he he made a point of of bringing up at the end of our conversation that we're going to see a lot of improvement from the linebacking core, and and so far he's right about that. Um, anything else you guys wanted to talk on on Wake Forest, or can we move to this week's game against Northwestern? No. Yes. All right. Yeah, I have no desire to, to talk about that let's, game anymore. Let's move on. It is in the past. <laughs> so last year, Duke lost a close game against Northwestern early in the season. It seemed like both teams were headed in a, in a pretty good direction. And then um, Duke's fortunes kind of were up and down last season. But Northwestern had a really great year last year. They went 10 and 3. Um, but a lot of the numbers said that that was maybe a little bit of a fluke. And it seems like it's playing out here early in the season. They've lost. Their first two games, one to Directional Michigan. Shout out to Directional Michigan because uh, Western Michigan beat Northwestern and Central Michigan uh, beat uh, Oklahoma State this week. Mustangs in the building. Let's go. Yeah, Central Michigan is uh, is killing it this year. Uh, but then in week two, Northwestern lost to Illinois State, which is an FCS team, the, what we used to call uh, Division I AA. Um, they lost 9-7 to seven on a game-winning field goal at the end and uh, generally just looked uh, – pretty out of sorts the whole game. They've actually got a lot of the same problems that Duke has. Um, their offensive line isn't very strong. They're really not running the ball well. They're only averaging uh, about three and a half yards per rush. And they have a new quarterback that they're breaking in, Clayton Thorson, who uh, was 17 for 41 against Illinois yeah, that's, State. That's really bad. That's, that's a bad, really that's a bad, bad. number. I was, reading, uh, I, I was reading up on Northwestern before we started here, and I, I came across a uh, – a pretty angry rant on the SB Nation uh, Big Ten blog from a Northwestern fan who is just not not in the mood. And it, it sounds like it was well thought out and, and very well written. This wasn't, you know, a random fan post. Um, but wait, wait, just wait, in general, was, was this was this the guy who had like half of his thing was in all caps? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, I love uh, that. There's so, a so uh, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of swearing in all caps. <laughs> There's a lot of swearing. Yes, it, it's but it was very funny. It was very uh, funny. It's extremely well written. I, uh, I I I think this might just be um, because I visit DDR so often that when I do Google searches for something like Northwestern football, the first few things that pop up are all SB Nation 
articles. So, yes, and uh, that, is- that article, if anyone wants to read that article, which it is pretty funny, um, it is titled, Oh My God, Northwestern Football is Terrible, right? And the guy uh, kind of calls for the coach to be fired or something like that. It's, it's pretty well, funny. Well, yeah, it, it's a weird thing. So, so I, I noted this in my, in my research. Pat Fitzgerald is the longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. Wow. Which yeah. is amazing. Really? Because all the good coaches are new, right? Um, uh, at, you know, Ohio State and Michigan both have recently hired very good coaches, and presumably they will both be there for over 10 years. And isn't he but, still the youngest in the uh, Big Ten? He might be. Um, I, I don't know if that's true anymore. They, there are a lot of new young coaches in the Big Ten. But, but yeah, he's pretty young, and he's been there for a long time um, and has – has easily had the worst showing of any of the uh, Big Ten coaches so far this year. So, yeah, Northwestern not having a strong season. Duke is, in fact, favored, at least last that I saw. Duke is favored um, going into Ryan Field, which I have been to before. It's not necessarily the most imposing place to play football. And, you know, I like you guys, I've been to many games at Wallace Wade Stadium. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty similar level of, of interest um, from the local fan base, such as it is. You know, so, we... We should be clear about something. Losing to Western Michigan, you know, uh, obviously, if you're a BCS conference school, you don't want to lose to any non-BCS conference school. Losing to Western Michigan, though, is somewhat understandable. I mean, they're a MAC team. Um, the MAC is pretty strong in football for the non-BCS conferences. Western Michigan routinely recruits against Big Ten quality schools, you know, in, in an attempt to get recruits. So that's not, you know, hugely embarrassing. But Illinois State? I mean, FCS, there's no, an FCS team should not be able to stay on the field against even a moderately decent BCS conference team. We saw that when Duke played NC Central. That's what you get when you play an FCS team. And and Um, Illinois State is not even one of the good FCS teams. They are just an FCS team in the fact that they are in that, that subdivision. There's nothing great about them. Even like, it's not like you know the Appalachian states of the world when they were you know kicking you know kicking ass around uh, the FBS. This is a team that should not be beating anybody uh, in any division. So um, yeah, that was a major loss for them. So Duke's going to win this game easily, right, guys? I sure hope so. Hope the, so. Uh, <laughs> please look for please. the outlook for making a, a bowl game at this point is uh, is pretty grim. Just if you look at who's on the schedule and and how those teams have performed so far this year. The Coastal Division actually, uh, you know, Pittsburgh looked really strong against Penn State this week. I don't know if you guys watched any of that. I thought that was that was one of the most fun games. They uh, looked really good. good. I saw something like yeah. Pitt looked really good. And yeah, James really Conner is back. James Conner is so back. Uh, Virginia Tech, not quite such a strong showing against Tennessee. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to chalk that game up to just total big game weirdness because uh, – if you were apparently, if you were at the well, Virginia they played Tech, in, they played in the parking lot. <laughs> right. Apparently, if you, apparently, if you went to the Virginia Tech Tennessee game, you weren't actually going to see the Virginia Tech Tennessee game. And take it from me, I sat in like maybe the worst seats at the national championship game between Duke and Wisconsin a couple of years ago, where I could barely see. And looking at the, the views from the crowd on TV at that game, I mean, that was that was a disaster. From at least from the you know from the from the paying attendance uh, perspective. They, they obviously packed a lot of people into Bristol Motor Speedway, but the, um, the, uh, the environment for the local fans, uh, not so hot. So uh, yeah, hopefully, sorry, rounding it back. 
uh, hopefully Duke is able to recover this week and, and play a little better against Northwestern team that really shows a lot of the same flaws that Duke does. So we'll see who manages them better, I guess. Um, if you want to go to a bowl game, this is the game you got to win. Like you can't, you, I yes. mean, cause after yes. that you have, you're at Notre Dame next, next week and you don't want to walk into that one and two because that, that game is going to be a, diff- a very difficult game uh, to walk into South Bend and, and beat the Irish. But you want to walk into there with a little bit of confidence that you're beating the team that you're supposed to be beating. Um, and Northwestern is one of those teams. And Army has looked, Army's who's coming up in a few weeks, has looked pretty good so far this year. So it, you, can't even, you can't even necessarily check that one off as a definite win. It's a, it's a should win. But, um, but yeah, Duke's schedule gets a lot tougher if, if if Duke can't beat Wake Forest at home. Yo, yo, have, have you guys seen what Louisville's been doing? We played Louisville in like five weeks, four weeks, yeah, something like that. Yeah, my man has been Oh, my God. Fools. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're very they, strong. They beat Syracuse 62 to 28. It was a clinic. Wow. And it wasn't I mean, even that close. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, Lamar, so Lamar Jackson... Um, my son tells me has 13 touchdowns on the season in two games. Yep. That's kind of sick. And it's now leading the Heisman race because when you score 13 touchdowns in two weeks, you deserve to lead the Heisman race. He's the first player in history to have 400 yards passing and 175 yards rushing in one game. Yeah, that's That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So Cam Newton never did that, right? Nope. Top Griffin never did that. All those... All those guys with the arms and the legs. Yeah, yeah. You think one of the guys? You think someone at Baylor would have done that? Baylor routinely drops eighty points on teams. You'd think, think someone from Baylor would have done that. Any of those Oregon, Oregon right? Marcus Mariota yeah. never did that. Wow. All right. Well, that's scary. Looking forward yeah. to uh, the Louisville game, and that's on a that's on a Friday night, so it's going to be really weird because this national TV. Be all wrong. Yeah, yeah, on ESPN, the whole oh, country boy. gets to watch us try to stay within twenty. All right. Well, what's the line in that uh, game going to be? <laughs> oh, oh, I had, I had, I had one more note uh, on the positives for Northwestern football. Um, Trevor Simeon and the Denver Broncos beat the Carolina Panthers. Yes. Uh, yes. Which was, uh, which was impressive because it sounds like uh, yes. Trevor, for folks who don't know, for folks who don't know, Trevor Simeon uh, was Northwestern's quarterback. I, a lot of Northwestern fans apparently didn't know that. Until uh, until he showed up <laughs> on the NFL sideline and they were talking about it, so so that's uh, so that's great. Um, as a uh, as a Denver resident, although not not a Broncos fan per se, uh, it's at least nice when the when the local team does well because people are in a generally better mood. Um, so I think we are are all set with football. Are you guys all set with football? Yeah, time for some hoops, baby hoops. Let's let's move on to a little Duke hoops. most important piece of news this week uh, from the basketball perspective is that the ACC basketball schedule was released this afternoon, and I wanted to throw it to Jason for initial thoughts on Duke's schedule. Now that we have both the non-conference schedule and the whole ACC schedule all together, Duke uh, starts the season in December this year. Uh, The ACC schedule creep is such that. Um, But Jason, what do you see from Duke's schedule? How do you think it uh, works out for the Blue Devils? So, Sam, can I get a ruling from the moderator? How long do I have to talk right now? Because <laughs> I took so many notes on the ACC schedule today. Why don't you, I, I don't... Why don't you go, ahead and, why don't go ahead and do it, and Donald and I will jump in when we hear you breathe. You guys feel free to jump. So right. 
This Duke schedule is way better than last year. Remember, last year we had a somewhat brutal, like, middle of the schedule where we were on the road at Louisville and we were on the road at Syracuse. And it was some at Virginia, I think it was just a, it was a really tough stretch. I looked down at this schedule for Duke, and it's not that we don't play good teams. We play plenty of good teams. The ACC is very strong, very strong this year. But I, you know, I really don't see a stretch that I go, oh, there's a two or three game stretch that is just, you know, murderer's row for us. That that stretch does not exist for Duke this season. And thank you. I'm glad. It feels like every time there's a tough, and we have some tough back to backs, but um, it feels like we kind of get a break. I'd say the toughest stretch is from February 9th to February 15th. It's six days. We have North Carolina at home, always an incredibly emotional, taxing game on a Thursday, not a Wednesday. Usually we play Carolina on a Wednesday. This year we play them on a Thursday. Then on Saturday we have Clemson. Clemson's pretty darn good this year. A lot of folks think they're a top 25 team. And then on Wednesday we go to Virginia, the game at Virginia, always really, really difficult. So that North Carolina, Clemson at home, and then at Virginia, to me that's the toughest stretch of the schedule. But you know that's not a killer that's not you know if if maybe instead of clemson you'd put my um uh, uh you know uh louisville in there it would have been a real real killer um but i think uh you know i i see the schedule for duke you know shaping up pretty nicely um we have a we have one two day turnaround where we play saturday monday um and both those games are on the road we're at wake forest and then we're at notre dame but the, and, and, and that kind of a turnaround is always difficult. But the nice thing for Duke is that the Wake Forest game at Wake Forest, I mean, that's not that it's a home game in terms of the crowd, but it's just not that far. You know, it's a, it's a bus trip a couple hours, and then we're back on campus. You get to sleep in your own bed. It's not a true road trip. And then we go to Notre Dame. Um, there's a kind of tough back-to-back in early January. We're at Florida State and then at Louisville. Um, uh, that, that's a pretty tough back-to-back, and, and um, you know, those are teams that, that are further away, unlike, you know, the, the Virginias and the Wake Forest, the NC States, UNCs that are closer. So, you know, kind of tough. Um, but I, I just the, look out the we schedule. Have the, I, we have the two-day turnaround between North Carolina and Clemson as well, but those are both at home. Yes, you're right. You're right. Those are both correct. Those are both at home. Yeah. And, and but, but Thursday, Saturday doesn't feel as weird as – um, you know, as playing on the Monday, um, uh, you know, especially oh, the road games. Well, Look, we've also got a big East. We're not the we, big East. We don't play on Mondays. This is we've, we've got, we've got a Saturday, Monday with Miami and NC state, but those are both home games. I was talking about the games, uh, you know, for it to be on the road, I think is a little bit of a, a different challenge. Um, so I, I think the schedule shapes up pretty nicely for us. I, I, I like the fact that to me, there are, you know, the, the tougher teams in the ACC, um, are, are UNC, Virginia, Louisville, Florida State, Syracuse, and Clemson. UNC, Virginia, and Louisville are both, are all three of those are like in the top 12, top 15 nationally. Um, Florida State, Syracuse, and Clemson are, are top 25 teams, most people think. Well, uh, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, Clemson, we only have them once each. The teams that we play twice are Florida State, UNC, Wake Forest, and Miami. Wake and Miami, you know, should be middle, lower tier of the conference. Um, and and I mean I just I like the way that it shapes up for Duke I really do. Um, There's and also an interesting. By the way, oh, go ahead, finish. Second season in a row, no ACC team plays on Sunday. I'm pretty sure I tried to look and see. Um, I, I'm so glad that we're now on ESPN instead of Fox 
because remember Fox had those Sunday night games that were just, you know, it was craziness. But for the second season in a row, no Sunday games. Yay! If you want to, if you want to talk about the scheduling minutia like that, another interesting thing that apparently the people who have complained so bitterly the last few years to ESPN about the late game times, there's only one game that starts at nine o'clock during ACC season. That's the um, it's a February game against Virginia. Otherwise, all the games start at eight o'clock or earlier, including the two UNC games start at eight p.m. on ESPN this year. So I know that's I don't crazy. Know, that's I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works with like the overlap of other games because are they going to start games at six o'clock? I, I don't know if they're going to start games at six o'clock Eastern, but um, at least at least for for Duke's purposes. Two eight o'clock games, a bunch of seven o'clock games, and then the the weekend games are are all over the place. But um, a a a relief, I'm sure, for a lot of Duke fans. I know that a lot of folks on the board who talk about going to the going to all the games because they're season ticket holders then have to you know drive home long distances, and those those nine o'clock games or those nine thirty games can end after eleven thirty, and then you're not home until until pretty late at night or early in the morning. So, I mean, my, my bet for that first game, uh, the one that's in Cameron on Thursday, February 9th, my bet is there is some smaller tier game that's going to lead into that. That's going to hopefully get, they'll put some team there um, that'll hopefully get a little uh, pre-Duke UNC bump. But the game uh, at Carolina on Saturday, March 4th, that's almost assuredly going to be a college game day situation. So there'll probably be a, an hour's worth of uh, pregame covers leading into that game and not an actual basketball game. Yeah, so, I agree. No so question we'll, about it. We'll see. Uh, obviously, all these times are, are subject to change, right? So they, they may change their minds. But hey, maybe ESPN is just realizing that folks don't want to stay up that late, especially during the week um, as, it, as it comes to watching games. Who knows? I'm not a... Hey, uh, hey can, I'm not a... <laughs> no, go ahead. Can, can we talk about other ACC team schedules for a second? Absolutely. Donald, that's did you that's want how to crazy add I am. I, I know that... I, I know that Jason had a lot to say. Donald, did you want to add anything about Duke's schedule? Yeah, so, uh, the, I mean, the first couple of things I want to mention were um, you were mentioning the late starts in the ACC season, which uh, the, non, or the lack of them, actually. Um, we do actually have three games that start after 9 o'clock um, in the non-conference schedule. We have the, uh, the Champions Classic against Kansas, which is uh, the second of the, two, uh, the two games in the Champions Classic, so that makes sense. Um, you have the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge game against uh, Sparty, um, that's a 9.30 start. And then you have uh, the Jimmy V Classic, which uh, appears to be the second of two games. Um, and that is against Florida. And that would be on December 6th at 9 o'clock as well. Uh, so you have a few of those. But um, one thing that we talked about a little bit when the non-conference schedule came out is that there's usually there's a um, uh, the last week during New Year's Eve, there's usually a couple of non-conference games before we start with uh, ACC season. That's not the case this year. We ha- our last non-conference game is on December 21st. We break for Christmas, and then we come back on New Year's Eve uh, at Blacksburg, um, and ACC season is off and running. So um, that's a little bit of a slight change, and I think that might fare well for our team uh, in the fact that we don't have uh, – we have 10 days to get our minds right for ACC season, and you can enjoy the Christmas holiday, and then they come back with their mind focused on the fact that every single team uh, every day out is going to take their best shot at us and could actually beat us in any given moment. So uh, I think oh, that's probably, I think the, uh, the coaching staff um, is really looking forward to the fact that we have that nice little break between non-conference season and then the ACC season as well. I was going to say, I'm terrified of that Virginia Tech game. Um, Tech, I think, is better than they've been in past years. Uh, I, I think having 
having that uh, that ten day break. I'd ra- I'd rather have. Look, I don't love the cupcake games. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'd rather see Duke play tough teams, but I'd love to have sort of a cupcake. Um, you know, maybe a day or two before, a couple days before that game to to get our juices flowing again. I think that ten day break, especially over Christmas, uh, it, it scares me. <laughs> um, the nice thing, but, the nice uh, thing is that Virginia Tech is usually a tough place to play, but in this case, the game is at noon on New Year's Eve, so I'm not sure how many people are actually going to be in attendance, and there certainly won't be any students there. Right. Uh, the one, yeah, the, yeah, the one final point. thing I want to mention is. Um, Looking at the schedule, yeah, you're right, Jason. It seems that it's not as brutal. We don't have that murderer's row stretch that we did last year. But I think the ACC is a lot better than they were last year. And, and I think some of those mid-level teams that you're talking about, the you, know, the, you mentioned Virginia Tech, the Miamis, the Florida States, those aren't going to be uh, easy outs. Um, going to Miami, um, let me holler at my law school alma mater for a minute. We lost the last couple times we've been down there. So I think that's a tough place to play. That's always a team that's really going to be fired up to play us. I'm really – the one game that really worries me just looking at the schedule is the fact that we go to Notre Dame uh, two days after playing at Wake Forest. And the only reason I say that is because we've never beaten Notre Dame at South Bend, and that is always a tough place to play for us. Um, that's a tough team for us to play every time out. And I'd lo- I wish we would have had a couple more days rest um, to prepare for them, but we got that quick turnaround. I, I don't. That's the one little area where I'm thinking uh, that's a worrisome uh, uh, set of two games for me. Um, but I think the last few games really kind of sets up. You know, at Syracuse, I think that could be pretty decent. Um, at Miami, I think that's a tough game. Florida State's a tough game, and then UNC. But those are spread out to the point where the coaching staff can get those guys focused on each individual game, and there's not a lot of distraction um, that will keep them. Uh, it's not as there's no trap games in that in that set, which actually works out well because if there's a trap game, then you're focusing on the next opponent and not the opponent in front of you. They're not going to be doing that with this last uh, set of, uh, of the schedule. They're going to be focused on each individual team, and that makes for best basketball. All right. So can I talk about the rest of the ACC now? Yes, please do. <laughs> thank you, Jason, and thank you, Donald, for your insights, Jason. Go. UNC's schedule. Have you guys seen the last seven games on the Carolina ACC schedule? No. It is uh, a, can, can you tell us so I can laugh? I'm, it I'm is a murderer's – I mean, you want to talk about murderer's row. You ready for this? Their last seven games, they're at Duke. They're at NC State. Huge rivalry game. They play Virginia at home. They play Louisville at home. Then they're at Pitt, at Virginia again, and then they have Duke. Let's be clear. <laughs> that is – that is brutal. I mean, you, you mentioned that brutal. You mentioned that stretch last year in February that Duke had to play, but that was only what, like four games that, yeah. that they had to slog through before getting another easy team. And that's seven is, games. And this is the final seven games of the season. Like, oh, we got to be pushing for the NCAA tournament and seeding. Carolina could play. I'm telling you, they could play really good basketball and go two and five in that stretch. And if how, they don't play really good basketball, they could go zero oh and seven because the did, only. How did John Swafford let that through? You know, you know I do not know. Somebody, somebody, somebody released the schedule without telling them because you know five of the five of know, those seven games. You five know, of those seven games. Swafford are, won't go let that happen. Someone let those, that through without his permission. Five of those seven games are against teams ranked in the preseason top ten. Five of those seven games are against teams <laughs> ranked in the preseason, and the and the other two are both on the road, including one against your most hated rival next to Duke, NC State. <laughs> 
it is it is so so like the funny and thing is going to be, be and that's going to be the point in the season where NC State is like is like really searching for a victory to get into the tournament right because oh, they're yeah. yep. they're they're going to be talented this year but you know that every year NC State loses a few games that don't make any sense and so come mid February it's like oh god we need a signature win we need to secure that that tournament berth or that or that particular seed line and they're oh, my, oh they're going to be so excited for that game Oh, yeah. So the funny thing is going to be we're going to be midway through the season. We're going to be played, you know, like nine, 10, maybe even 11 ACC games and Carolina. People are going to be like, oh, Carolina looks like they could win the conference. And suddenly they're going to lose like five of the last seven. <laughs> and they're going to drop probably to the, like the number five or six seed. Um, uh, so uh, another thing worth noting, for years, it has felt like UVA has gotten the benefit of of the easier schedule in the ACC in terms of who they have to play twice and who they only have to play once. This year, finally, it caught up to UVA. UVA has both UNC and Louisville twice. That's pretty tough. If, if, you, if you think that the top four teams in the ACC are Virginia, Duke, UNC, and Louisville, which everyone pretty much does, those four teams everyone says are ranked in the top 10. UVA has two of them um, twice. Now, UVA gets a little bit of a break because we have to come to their house. But um, I think UVA has a tough ACC schedule. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say right now that the main contender, the team that will, I think, in the end be battling with Duke for the ACC title, I think will be Louisville. Um, the teams that Louisville plays twice are Notre Dame, Pitt, Syracuse, and Virginia. Um, and look, uh, I mean, Virginia we know is going to be very good. I'm not saying that Notre Dame, Pitt, and Syracuse aren't quality teams. Most people think Syracuse is a top 25 team. But, uh, you know, that's not as tough as the teams that Duke has to play twice or the teams that UVA has to play twice. Um, so I really think that Louisville is in fairly good shape and, and that, you know, I think they're going to be the team that may challenge Duke for the top of the ACC, if anyone challenges Duke. I mean, most, most people are expecting the Blue Devils to have a really, really great season. But, right. oh, my God, that, that Carolina One. stretch. Ugh. Oh. Quick, quick prediction. Will Boston College win an ACC game this year? Yes. Oh, man. I, I, haven't, I haven't really looked at their roster to see. Did they recruit anybody? I haven't, I haven't started doing that stuff yet, man. You can't just, pop no, that stuff on me. Come on. Just blind speculation. Go. Yes. Will Boston College win a conference game this year? It's so hard not to. It's so hard to <laughs> I lose don't know, man. Game they, in the conference. You, but, you only but, asked if ready? they would win one. You didn't ask if they win two. So I say yes. Yeah. I'm going right, to say yeah. no. I'm going to say no. And you know why? <laughs> Because the teams at the bottom of the conference, with the exception of Miami, Miami's worse than they were last year. I'm not sure. There are very few teams in the conference other than Miami that are worse than they were last year. I mean, I guess Carolina's worse than they were last year, but Carolina's still pretty good. But for the most part, I think the conference is up from last year. And I don't know that Boston College is much better. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're going to have to, you know, maybe they could steal one against Georgia Tech. Maybe. We'll but I don't, they're... They might not. We'll they might not. Right. Wake's better than I, they were last year. So, uh, are we good on the schedule? I think we're good on the schedule. Yeah, I've talked yes. my ass off. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Jason. <laughs> Shout out to Jason Evans, who uh, who looked at the ACC schedule more than John Swamper did. So that's uh, that, that's really that's really great work by our podcast team collectively, but specifically by one member. Yeah, I do my best. Thank you very much. All right, we'll uh, we'll move on to some final topics here. One last note about ACC basketball before we get into parting shots that um, 
this week, the NCAA today, actually, the NCAA announced that they would no longer be uh, allowing North Carolina to host any postseason tournaments. Specifically, they have seven events planned for for this current academic year that are that are not happening um, because of the House Bill Two, what a lot of folks are referring to as the bathroom bill. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily want to get into the politics of the whole thing. I really would rather focus on the effect that it has on Duke, specifically on the NCAA tournament, where uh, most years, and this year was going to be the same way, Duke is expected to be a relatively top seed in the tournament, and the state of North Carolina was going to host a pre-region, a, you know, a sub-regional set of games that Duke was likely going to appear in. So um, I'll start with Donald and. Like I said, let's try to avoid the politics here and just kind of talk about the the basketball effect because that's really what we do here. Um, Donald, how do you think that this affects Duke this year and and potentially going forward, not really being sure how long this this little standoff will last? Well, what it means is, you know, since they're pulling the games, they haven't announced where they're going to move those games. Um, One, I mean, I guess for people with tickets, that's, that's a big blow. There's probably a lot of people who put in uh, for the for tickets for this regional, not just at Duke but also at UNC, um, thinking that their team would be there, um, and now they're not going to. So that's that's a big blow for the local fan base, um, for people who were planning on uh, spending weekend in Raleigh um, for, or I'm sorry, in Greensboro for those games. And I, I think the the one thing is that means we're going to have to travel out of state somewhere. Um, I believe the near next nearest place is in Jacksonville. I, I don't. I, someone will. No, Orlando. The, the, the Orlando, next closest yes. one is Orlando. But but I, I'd be willing to bet that they will settle on either Washington D.C. or Atlanta as an alternate site. Um, does, does, Richmond have a, does Richmond have a, a big enough arena to host an NCAA event? I don't think they do. I think the Richmond. I think. Well, actually, it might. I think it sees fourteen thousand. I don't know what the minimum requirements. If it's in DC, that's great for me. Uh, that means I'd be able to go. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. So I think in that end, yeah, it's it, it's a blow because it's it's one of those things where you know, as a team, you want to play at home and or play home, and that was as, as close as you were going to get, and now they won't have that opportunity. Um, so that changes things a little bit. I will make a small note outside of that. Um, one of the other games that was taken away was the college, uh, the women's college cup for soccer. Um, last year, um, it was in Cary, and this year it was supposed to be in Cary again. Last year, if you guys recall, uh, are lost in the final to Florida State, and they're expected to be just as good, if not better, this year than they were last year. So that is a big blow to uh, to that as well, and and that fan base because you know that is a that is a sport in college that still relies a lot on the local. Uh, turnout and with a team um, and Duke that was probably favored to get back to the at least the the semifinal. Um, I, I think that is a big blow for that um, uh, college cup as well. But uh, I think those things, you know, you want to rely on the local markets, and, and I think they will take uh, suffer the the most. The fan bases will suffer the most because now they have to rearrange travel plans. Uh, but I think in the end, you know, the team will say. It's basketball. It doesn't matter where the basketball is being played. They're going to they're gonna have to play at a high level uh, in the NCAA tournament. So um, I think it's just more in the fans' perspective of we will want them to stay closer to home, and now they don't have that opportunity. You know, I didn't even realize how busy Cary, North Carolina, was with NCAA championship events. 
Um, the the Division Two baseball championship was supposed to be in Cary. You already mentioned the women's, the the College Cup, the Division One women's soccer championship was supposed to be in Cary. The Division Three men's and women's tennis championships were supposed to be in Cary. Um, the Division One women's lacrosse championship is supposed to be in Cary. I mean, Cary, North Carolina, from was planning to be, you know, uh, championship central from the third week of May through early June. Um, they were going to have three championships there: Division One, Division Two, and Division Three in tennis, lacrosse, and baseball. Um, I mean, what a blow to that community! Uh, it, it's really, it's really kind of tragic that this happened. Um, you know, I feel for the people who, who really probably had nothing to do with this decision. And, uh, you know, after the legislature passed HB2, um, there have been a lot of people in North Carolina who say they don't approve of it, but they're still affected by, by this decision by the NCAA. And I know we're not going to get into the politics of it. And I, I agree that we, we absolutely shouldn't. There's, you know, this isn't a partisan podcast. This isn't Daily Costs or Breitbart or Red State or whatever. Um, but, but I mean, I'll say it's a pity that um, these communities, Greensboro and Cary, are the two that are affected. Greensboro was going to have three events. Cary was going to have four events. Um, it's a pity for the, those communities that, that this happened. I'm sure they put a tremendous amount of effort into bidding on those championships and, and being prepared to host them. And they um, got them for a good reason. I mean, it's not that they were, you know. They know what hey, they're doing. They know what yeah, they're doing. I mean, Cary, Cary's soccerplex is a tremendous field. It's one that the U.S. women's national team has played on se- for se- several occasions. So it's not a it's not a slouch field that they were just giving, you know, a pity bid to. This is a this is a field that the NCAA relies on for a lot of their pro- a lot of their programs, not just this year but over the years. So it is a really huge blow and a really big statement for the NCAA to take that. Now, I think the next question is, I mean, is a little bit further off, um, but there's going to be a lot more pressure now on the individual conferences, namely the ACC, to do the same thing. Um, we don't have basketball, um, at least for the, on the men's side, back in North Carolina until 2019, so there's room there. Uh, but they obviously hold a lot of events um, in North Carolina, and I think with the NCAA making this uh, move today, the pressure is now on the conferences, well, shifts to the conferences to do the same thing that the NCAA has done. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds over, uh, over the course of the coming months. You know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if the communities of Cary, North Carolina and Greensboro, North Carolina, really, um, uh, you know, show up at the polls to to voice their displeasure if they are displeased to lose these events. Um, I mean, we've got an election coming up in November, and there is a specific political party that uh, in North Carolina that worked really hard to make HB2 pass. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see if there is backlash either against the NCAA with people saying, hey, I don't like that you meddled in our politics, and so people support the North Carolina GOP, or if there's backlash against the North Carolina GOP by people who say, you cost my community these important events um, and you've embarrassed us. Um, I, I hope you guys don't think I'm political for saying that. I just sort of think it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because um, we could see some kind of impact at the at the ballot box in North Carolina. I don't well, think I'm, that's overly political. I think, I, I think personally, I think it's more of the um, the conferences making similar moves that would prompt such a response you know i mean it's not just the acc there's a lot of smaller conferences like the ciaa which are held 
which hold many events in North Carolina every single year, and they hold almost every single one of their uh, conference championships, conference tournaments, and, and, and that those sort of events in the state. Um, if they start making these similar moves, that will be, I would say, more of an impact because that is something that people travel around, plan around every single year, it being in that state. And if it's not going to be there, then where is it going to be? I mean, you're talking about some conferences where teams are wholly situated within the state of North Carolina. So what happens if they start making these similar moves? Or do they make these similar moves? I think that is what we're going to see over the next couple of months. Now that the NCAA has made this decision, I think now the uh, people will start focusing on what's the next move. The next move is clearly the ACC. The ball's in their court. They're the biggest conference that has that effect. Um, but these smaller conferences are going to be just as important, and those talks are already happening um, in a lot of these, a lot of these back, you know, back rooms about what they're going to do and what their response is going to be now that the NCAA has made this move. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure that there's, that there's a precedent uh, as far as a, a, an organization like the NCAA taking such a strong political stand on something like this before. And, and like you said, Jason, it's going to be interesting to see how the public reacts to it because you know, North Carolina can, can kind of go in either direction. Well, the NBA on. pulled the all-star game um, right. from Charlotte. Um, and yeah. That already happened. So that was, yeah, that was the first one. That was That's first hundreds event. of millions of dollars of economic impact. Yeah. I mean – they estimate that all weekend that. is 120 that's, I mean, that, that, that's, that's one weekend. This is, this is spread out over a lot of different events in a lot of different cities. Um, like I said, I'm not, and, and as you guys pointed out, not exactly clear what will happen from here, but uh, it's certainly an interesting thing to follow. And it, and it puts college basketball and the ACC and, and Duke, because of it, right in the middle of, of this whole political argument. And uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I, we'll, we'll finish off with, um, with uh, parting shots for this week. I'll start with Jason. Um, Jason, did you have a parting shot for us? Um, no. <laughs> I spent all my time looking at the ACC schedule. I do not have a parting shot. And, and, um, and, we, and we applaud you for that. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, I, and I, I, I do want to say that I am incredibly impressed that um, – Donald pulled out the CIAA conference, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which I had not heard of, but my trusty Google helped me out with. Um, Donald, props for props for pulling that one out. That's and I, you're I was right. talking it about that with my friend who uh, who went to NCA and T. So CIA is a big deal. Go. It's a huge there deal. Um, so it's based in it's based out of Charlotte. Uh, I mean, and and uh, you know has a has several Carolina, North Carolina schools in it. So, uh, uh, so wait, uh, actually I do a parting shot. Sam, I thought you were going to mention what I said to you. It's so vague. What if it... be a text message? You wanted to talk about. Oh, this. oh, that's my parting shot. That's oh, my okay. Shot. That's my parting shot. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Well, you might as well uh, give your parting shot now. You've already. All right. All right, it's my turn. I will. Uh, I need. To, I need to pull it back up here. Uh, I, I, by me. the way, while no, you're pulling no, it back up, yeah, I'm lodging a formal protest over this parting shot. 
we should not be allowed to take text messages out of context and use them to embarrass other members of the podcast team. That is my formal protest. I'm just going to mention it right now. What I'm are, te- what are text messages myself. for, then, if we're not to be taken out of context? <laughs> so the, so the, following, the, the following is presented without context and without explanation. Oh. Uh, and, and I will leave, and I will leave uh, all of our listeners to decide oh. for themselves what it means. This is about uh, to happen, isn't it? This is about so, to happen. So this, is, this is part of a text message that Jason Evans sent me earlier today. It says, and I quote, I like some of the more elaborate sausages. End quote. <laughs> Am I allowed to explain? No, you know what? No. Well, let's, no. Let, let's, no. Let people, let's let people, you know, um, you know, uh, think about it for, for maybe let a few him, days. Let it marinate we, for a little bit. Yeah, let, let it marinate. Um, caption this, world. What you got to you you slow cook that bad boy. Donald, do you have a parting shot? Yeah, so my parting shot is, is you know, we've, we've had a, a nice little summer off. I've done quite a bit of traveling that's taken me to some uh, wonderful places, but I'm very, very excited about one trip that I will be taking. Uh, at the first of October, um, I don't. I actually think uh, I'm missing just one game while I'm gone. Um, actually, no, I'm not missing a game. It's the oh, I will be missing. I'll miss Army game, but I will be for the first time traveling to the island nation of Cuba, and I will be doing a U.S. soccer game that will be down there. Um, so I'm quite excited about this kind of once in a lifetime opportunity to in an island that's you know very you know we we're still trying to normalize relations um so it's kind of an ambassador trip and i'm really looking forward to seeing this island nation for the very first time dude that's really cool that's really cool that's yeah it's going to be cool. awesome yeah so i will i will give a full thing when i get back from that trip of course um yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that i also wanted to note um i guess i sort of had a parting shot and a half which is that uh, a, a forewarning um, that, that in the next few weeks I will be debuting a new college basketball-related song on the mandolin for you guys and for our audience. Um, so stay tuned for that. It, it's, uh, we, we only just agreed upon it on its identity today, uh, so I'm not ready to uh, play it yet, but you'll, uh, you'll hear it eventually. So uh, if that's it, then... We will uh, sign off for this week for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine. I am Sam Klein. This has been the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. I like some of the more elaborate sausages.